0: Oh, yes. Hello, my friends. This is the Robcast. This episode is called The Thing in the Air, Part 321. Because, you know, this is the 321st episode. Three, two, one. But uh, as you know over the years, every once in a while I do an episode called The Thing in the Air. And I don't know how many parts there have been, but this one is just, you know, part 321. Because this moment, let's just, wherever you are, just take a deep exhale. I mean, this moment, I was just talking to my friend Jeff on the East Coast. And then this morning, I was talking to some advertising executives. And Violet and I just took a walk in the neighborhood to our favorite pizza place. And we, Sat outside on the sidewalk and had a few slices and talked and man, everybody I talked to, everywhere I turn, this this moment we're in, uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, so all of us are, I mean that we're like carrying carrying those people and th- those unfolding events around in our hearts. Today, the mask mandates were lifted in Los Angeles, which, you know, if you would have told me, oh, this day is going to come when you're no longer required to wear a mask in a public space indoors, uh, oh, man, that'll be amazing. But it does. It, it feels less like a triumphant end to a long ordeal and more like a hazy much of, mush of sensations, right? Like the fatigue, the weariness of this experience that we've been in and are still in at some level. So yeah, I just felt I wasn't going to do an episode, but I just could not get over the sense like just hit record and uh, take some deep breaths with all you Robcast friends. So here's what I want to do. I want to, in this episode, talk about how we experience days and events like these I want to give you a lens number 2 through which to view the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I want to talk about the relationship between your growth, expansion, maturity and chaos and instability because there is a there is a long relationship between those two, between maturity and chaos. And then at the end I want to give you especially those of you who have an increasing cynicism about humanity, and especially this brutal, violent, murderous invasion of one nation into another. Um, yes, lots of reasons to be cynical. But there's also another way to view this, which I want to talk about at the end. So first, let's talk about how, how you and I experience events like this. It helps me to think of the center of the being, also called the heart, the center of our being. Ancient Hebrew wisdom, you've heard me talk about this for years, the center of your being is called the heart. The heart integrates all the ways that we know and experience things. I picture the heart, the center of your being, having a shelf, and all of the senses, perceptions, feelings, emotions, and events of life, it's like they all sit side by side in the center of our being. The mind often judges what sits on that shelf. The heart simply holds it without judgment. So here's what I mean. All of the feels of this moment, the heartbreak of watching literal bombs being dropped on people, people running in the streets, shelled out buildings, the heartbreak, the anger that that a that a leader and an army would do this to another nation. Uh, the anger, what is it, eighteen forty? What you? What year? It's so primitive, so barbaric. Just the the rage that in this modern world we all inhabit, you would have such a cruel act of barbaric militarism, the compassion for our Ukrainian brothers and sisters, the empathy, uh, let alone our Russian brothers and sisters who are profoundly opposed to the actions of their government. The fatigue, the fatigue of this Past two years and then at the end, this are you kidding me? God, just the the titanic levels of weariness. Uh, yeah. Notice how much sits on that shelf. Or here's here's one. Here's one that uh it's actually why I'm doing this episode. Helplessness. And for many of us, we see those images and the feeling of helplessness. Like uh, it's on. For many of us, it's the other side of the world. For some of you, it's right nearby, but for many of us, the other side of the world, the, the feeling of impotence and helplessness. Like, oh God, uh, what can I do? Yeah. Um, the confusion of how is this happening and how is this not immediately being stopped? How is this... Putin leader how is this mil- army h- how is this not h- how is this even happening like wait wait I- isn't isn't there some way that this can immediately be stopped how is he getting away with this uh questions how do we how did we get here um now obviously there were there were leaders all around the world going you guys all realize where this is headed Pe- lots of people have seen this coming and yet how do we actually get here? Or, or perhaps for you, what's seen on that shelf is a deep sense of solidarity and connection. Yeah, because one one of the things this this past couple of years did is for many people, it it created a massive increase in emotional intelligence you are much more aware of the interconnectivity of all things. You are much less likely to see those people over here and us over here. You're much more likely to see all of us in this together. So so one of the things about increased emotional and spiritual intelligence is with it comes your radar is on and you see more than you used to. So you feel this connection, you feel this solidarity, which means you celebrate when others celebrate, but you also grieve when others grieve. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so perhaps for some of you, you're like, why do I care so much? Why, why is this affecting me like it is? Sometimes the, the answer is because you've, you've grown, you've expanded. Your heart is more alive, it feels more than it used to. That's one of the answers. Yeah, yeah, your compassion becomes as wide as the ocean, which means... Yeah, uh, and then I would add to that. One of the marks of greater spiritual maturity is you are less likely to reach for your numbing devices in times of pain, loss, or turbulence. So we begin to feel in regards in reaction to some event, some loss, some pain, some heartache, we begin to feel that pain and we live in a world where there are endless numbing devices, distraction devices at our fingertips. I'll just watch another show. I'll just uh, god the, the list of substances is endless, the list of ways to buy, like, just think of all the things you can buy, all the things you can put in your body, all the things you can put in front of your eyes. Think of all the ways you can avoid actually having to feel what is rising up from within. And uh, one of the things that happened over the past couple of years, I always joke, anybody else, anybody here finished Netflix? <laughs> it's like, you, got, you played it out. You got to the end of the numbing devices, and so you have to just sit with it. And... It's terrifying, but if you sit with it long enough, you begin to realize that that which rises up within you, of course it can't kill you. You witness to it. If you give it space to express itself, it actually does. Doubt, rage, anger, pain, loneliness, grief, sorrow, all of it. Uh, if you're quiet and you allow that still empty space within you to open up, and you allow it to be given the expression of that it's asking for, eventually it passes and you realize you're okay. You're okay. Yeah, so, so one of the things that's happened is lots of people are simply way more tuned in to the connection of everything to everything else. So before things that were just something happening in the news, you're now aware if it's happening over there, it has something to do with all of us. Now, two two more points on that. The way that events work in the public sphere is oftentimes what happens is an event happens and is publicized publicly, and we find ourselves strongly reacting to it, and it's evoking a response within us that feels disproportionate to either... The far awayness of the event or the unfamiliarity of the event. Let's talk about this in terms of grief first because this is one of the, the ways that it, it's easiest to understand this. Have you ever heard of somebody famous dying and you found yourself sad and grieving their death, but you never knew them. You've only seen two of their movies. You've, you only know one of their songs by name. and yet for some reason it struck you, in a way that almost caught you by surprise. Probably what happened in that moment is you had your own grief that was ungrieved. Ungrieved grief. We do not live in a culture that knows, that is very versed in grief. So lots of people have lots of grief that they're carrying around. Ungrieved grief. And what happened when that person that you knew of because of their knownness in the world, when they died, oftentimes what happened is you're wondering, what is going on? Why do do I care so much? Probably because that grief spoke to the grief within you and gave the grief within you like a little opening, it's like a release valve. And so this was obviously the incredibly massive response to the death of Princess Diana was you discovered how many people, when they put those flowers in front of Buckingham Palace, to the degree to which it surprised and shocked the queen, apparently. uh, It's actually telling you about her death, Princess Diana's, but it was showing you how many people had ungrieved grief, and her death death gave that grief a way to be expressed. Yeah, so when we go through an event where we are seeing these images and hearing reports of the violence from a country invading another country, the fears of where this could lead, those fears may in fact be calling up all sorts of fears. The uncertainty about where those events are headed may actually simply be creating a resonance with fears about that reside within about where our own lives are headed, where relationships work, where we're going to live, all sorts of things are headed. I, I would name it this way. There is something existentially unsettling about this moment, specifically the use of the word nuclear. Notice how the word nuclear, notice how much the moment you have military conflict and the initiator of the military conflict has nuclear weapons, that is existentially unsettling. So if you uh, find yourself almost like a deep-seated tremor, like almost like a a, a subtle terror below the surface of all of this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a fragility to life. So most of us, to make it through the day, we had to in some way make peace with the existential terror of life. Like every time you get in a car, think about it, every time you get in a car— that is great risk. You get on an airplane, a metal tube, and you go up in the sky, what? Yeah, so you and I are actually all the time making these little, it's like we're making peace on a micro level with all of these risks that we take every time you eat food. Who knows what the food might be in the food? So we do this. We make peace with the fragility and risk at the heart of life otherwise you wouldn't even leave your house or your bedroom although that would have a different risk right so think about all of the little micro peacemaking gestures we're doing all the time just to get through the day and then you start reading headlines about where is this headed this conflict are other nations going to join in they're not they are is this going what yeah they're they're this is Existentially unsettling. Yeah. So it speaks to the risk. We're on a ball, a ball of rock hurtling through space at sixty-seven thousand miles an hour. The earth is rotating at a thousand miles an hour. Yeah, this whole thing, this whole this whole thing. What? Yeah. Yeah, I often, I often, when people, I can tell when people ask a question. Sometimes, I can tell that they've come to this because this is, I, I, this is like, like a stage of spiritual growth. As you get to the point where suddenly you realize just how precarious the whole thing is, and you can read it as terrifying. That's one way to read it. You can read it as, oh my god, how does anybody even get out of bed in the morning? You, you can. You can allow it to cause you great paralysis. Like, I don't even... What is it? It can go... Or you can see the terror, the fragile nature of it, and you can allow it to heighten your wonder and awe and gratitude for this experience we call life. Yeah. Yeah, you can say, God, we're just barely hanging on. You can also say, isn't it amazing? And that is not like a shallow, trite cop-out. That is at the heart of every great spiritual wisdom tradition. This, as it says in the Psalms, this is the day the divine has shaped. Let's, yeah, let's rejoice. We're We're here we've received life, let's be grateful for it, let's appreciate it, let's savor it. Now, in a little while, we'll talk about the link between that injustice and resistance, but right now, yeah, yeah, so this is why moments like this, this is why people hug the ones they love, this is why we hold the ones we love closer, this is why food can taste better, this is why music can electrify you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, let's uh, explore the political for a moment, because when you find yourself trying to figure out what's happening politically or geopolitically, the relationship between nations, and it feels like a giant hairball of, of conflagration and confusion, here's how to think about it. The political, and this is simplifying, but it's helpful. The political is the personal magnified. So when you find yourself wondering, what is going on here? Why are these people invading? Why are these people have a thing with these people? Why why is this nation and that nation, why is that nation holding back? Whenever you find yourself wondering, why are nation-states on the biggest scale interacting the way they are? Remember that the political is the personal magnified. So follow it back. Go searching for the hearts and minds and individuals and groups and histories that are in play. Because when you it's like, follow the, the macro down to the micro. Follow the wider nation state back to the personal. Because ultimately, a nation, a state, an empire uh, is a group of people, and those people have histories. They have wounds, grievances, hopes, desires, fears, longings, plans, strategies. Try to find it. Here's what I mean. Let's do a little bit on Russia. At one point, Russia was part of a much larger nation state called the USSR. Uh, so if you're like me and you grew up in the 70s and 80s, the USSR, and obviously a lot of what we know is through um, Rocky movies, but <laughs> is, that, is that Rocky Three? The USSR was a massive global superpower. The USSR was comprised of 15 republics. Russia, Ukraine, Georgia, Belarusia, Uzbekistan, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Moldova, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. So the USSR was this absolutely massive global superpower, and it was arranged... In a very particular way. It was arranged in a very particular way. It was the world's first communist Marxist state. And once again, we're simplifying this incredibly, and a lot of you are like, yeah, yeah, we know all this, but, but follow this and think about it as a person and pay attention to the spiritual undertones of this because when you're looking at large nation states, you're actually looking for the personal undertones that are actually the animating energies that will help make sense of what's in play. So this massive USSR, 15 republics, the first communist Marxist state, and central to that understanding of how to arrange a nation state and a republic was that the state controlled everything. The state-owned industry and business The state and political party was the Communist Party were all one, and the state controlled how land was managed and farmed. This arrangement was held to with such fervent devotion and conviction that post-World War II, when Germany was being annexed, essentially, Russia, the USSR took essentially part of Germany, made it East Germany. The West took West Germany, made it West Germany. But USSR wanted that Eastern Germany as like a buffer with the West, like a way to keep the West, democracy, capitalism, at a distance. Yeah, so you had... Uh, sometimes referred to as Mother Russia, a centralized, controlled structure with a state-owned media, which means a voice, Uh, not an environment where there was lots and lots of voices where everybody could sound off about how they saw it, with state-owned media that was diligent about preserving a particular one story that told the story of the USSR. Now, once again, basic history here, but in 1991, it collapsed. It collapsed. Like when I was growing up in the 80s, those images of long bread lines, because the economic system just didn't work that well. You had Russian involvement in Afghanistan, uh, Gorbachev came along with these reforms, Glasnost, Perestroika, to sort of try and open it up, but those reforms actually, in, in some ways, some people would simply say, almost backfired. They didn't work. Now, here's why I say all that. Because in 2005, in a speech he gave at the Kremlin, Vladimir Putin said that the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century was the collapse of the USSR. Those 15 republics that were all held together as USSR splintered and each became their own thing. So so let me read that phrase again. Putin believes that the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century was what happened in 1991, when that giant, massive USSR could not sustain itself, and it broke apart into those 15 different pieces. He literally said in the same speech, this epidemic of disintegration infected Russia itself. So what happened? This leader of current-day Russia, Russia believes that something good was taken away. And that law, loss, as we know, is a form of change, and change is a form of loss. So this is the lens through which that event is seen by Vladimir Putin, we were a big, powerful, respectable, massive republic of 15 entities. And we were blasted apart into all these little parts. So there is a long play here, a deep desire to bring back together which he, that which he believes was unjustly broken apart, yeah, longing for a day that has passed. And we've talked about the, you, you've heard me talk about this at great length, but there is a direct relationship between loss and resentment. Resent to resent is from the Latin sent the, the French sentir, which means to feel, so resentment is to feel over and over again. Feelings arise and then they pass. They arise within the human experience and then they pass. Resentment is when the same feeling just arises and arises and arises and loops and loops and loops. It is the inability to allow a feeling to pass through And so when you believe that something good was taken from you, that deep resentment can drive you to do all sorts of things, because resentment always has an irrational underbelly to it. No matter what language, strategy, tactics you use, rhetoric you use, explanations you use, resentment, if left unchecked, always develops an irrational underbelly. Think about your own life when you've been resentful if you have a partner you have a the, somebody you're very close you have a lot of years with this person you get an argument with them but you're resentful think about some of the things we say when we're resentful have you ever had this you're in an argument with with your partner and you're resentful and you're saying something that you already know you're going to be apologizing for in a few moments like why am i saying this cuz resentment always has an irrational underbelly to it So when people ask, how in the world is Putin, what is he thinking? Why in the world would you invade Ukraine? The isolation from the rest of the world is going to be so massive. The risk with sanctions of an internal collapse of the Russian economy because of these horrific, violent actions he's taking. Hasn't he thought this through? Yes but also no. Yes, but, God, resentment. Resentment. If you believe that your people were wronged, and you are righting a wrong—and notice—this is why, by the way, this is why, of course, forgiveness is so incredibly huge. This is why—okay, there's all kinds of ways to say it. This is why moving on. This is why accepting change, making peace with it, in different times, and different contexts, is so incredibly powerful because oftentimes what happens is what develops is I was wronged and because you got away with breaking the rules and wronging me, I am therefore justified in breaking the rules and, and doing all sorts of horrific things back to you. It's when we allow the in, uh, injustice and the rule-breaking of somebody else to rational, and we use it to rationalize our own acts of violence and injustice. This, this is why... Yeah, this is why the politics is always personal. Yeah, yeah. So the animating energy... And obviously lots of people said this in lots of different ways. And there are lots of analysts who can and can show you all all of the subtleties and nuance. But at the most basic level, what you are seeing here is the Russian invasion of Ukraine is uh, a leader and a military and not that many of the citizens of Russia. Maybe a few still supportive, but trying to write what he sees as wrong. That's the animating energy. That's why it's so violent. That's why it's so like irrational. That's why it feels like, God, this feels like the barbaric acts of hundreds of years ago. Now, notice the dominant energies then are about trying to recreate something that was. So this is why Putin will say, no, Ukraine is part of Russia. Uh, It used to be. So what happens when a person has a perceived wrong and loss and are in the grip of resentment is everything becomes about reconstituting and reconstructing what once was. Obviously, there is a massive section of America. This animating energy is the dominating energy. Trying to get back to the moment of perceived loss and reclaim all that is believed was lost. Yeah, do you see how these deep, deep animating energies are just below, they're like the plate tectonics below the surface of everything. This is why you'll often notice, hey, wait, 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 this group of people over here or these people who, who are so angry they have very little imagination for the future. They have no new ideas. Resentment has no new ideas. The only ideas it has are trying to duct tape together what they believe was taken or split apart. So resentment has no imagination for the future and no fresh ideas because it's not interested in new creation. It's actually resisting the new creation. It's trying to get back what it believes was taken in the first place. Now, notice the energetic imprint of that. The energies are clinging and grasping to what was. Clinging and grasping is very, very different than opening your hands so you can receive the new that is arising. It's very different to cling and grasp than it is to embrace what is new and unfolding. Now, let's go back to this post-World War II where Germany gets divided up and USSR wants this buffer from the West because it is highly, highly suspicious and outright Oh, God, what's the word? Resistance. Resistant to what it calls the West. Democracy, uh, free speech, capitalism, all those sorts of things. That whole package. Which which has its own things that come with it. We'll get to that in a minute. But notice, Ukraine doesn't want to be part of that old order. Ukraine wants to be part of the new world. As a general—once again, we're simplifying, we're speaking in generalities, but Ukraine is essentially saying, no, we're, we're not interested in trying to create some past thing. We want to be a part of the new world. We want freedom of speech. We want innovation. We want art. Yeah, we want to make things. We want to be a part of the new thing. We want to help create the new world. Yeah, we don't—we're we, not longing for some day that was. We're open and expectant, and eager to participate in what's unfolding. Do you see how personal this is? What do you do with a changing life? What do you do with a changing world? What do you do with a dynamic universe that just keeps unfolding. Try to nail it down. Try to set it in concrete. Try to fix it so it won't go. Try to create some structure in which you can be guaranteed that nothing's ever going to change, and creation itself will rise up in rebellion against you. It'll change, it'll morph, it'll unfold, it'll evolve, it will find those flowers will grow up through those cracks in the concrete. Yeah, yeah. Now, and this is really, really important to all this. New stages of growth and evolution, new chapters in your own maturity— will always have an element of chaos and unknown to them. Think about your life. Maybe you come from some setting. Think about different chapters in your life when you were in some setting that had a very fixed way that it operated. And maybe at one point, that was like a giant step forward, whether it was business, academics, uh, personal conduct, uh, spirituality. Perhaps you come from a setting where it was like, this is how things work. And then something happened within you. You grew. You got curious. You had experiences in which that arrangement became too confining. Now, that particular setting and arrangement, that group of people, that job, that community, whatever it was, at one point, it may have been a giant step forward into greater freedom and expression, and and yet something happened and shifted within you. And what had previously been uh, whew, an, an exciting new chat suddenly you realized, oh, it's time to go. This, this has become confining. The, I, I have too many questions. Um, I know too. I, I've seen too much. I gotta keep going. I see the next thing, and I can't do the next thing from here. It always that step forward. It always involved some element of stepping into the unknown, and it always had some new, you could use the word chaos, you could use the word, it didn't have the same security and structure as the earlier. You had to launch that new thing. And the old thing had a regular paycheck. But this new thing, uh, we'll see. Yeah. Or your kid. It's time for your kid to go do that. And if your kid is going to go do that, it might work, it might not. But they can't stay here. Yeah, they got to keep going. Yeah, it's got a little risk. It's got more risk. It's got, it's got a little chaos. It's got a little unknown. They're going to have to improv. They're going to have to duct tape some things together. Yeah. So think about the long arc of human development. Think about the development of nation states. Democracy is a massive leap forward. Democracy What an extraordinary—democracy puts—technically, now, obviously, it's had its wobbles, but democracy gives everybody a vote. Oh, God, that's risky. Yeah, that's risky. They might vote for somebody who has no idea what they're doing. That happens from time to time. Are you with me on this? Yeah, so notice how democracy is a—everybody gets a voice. Everybody gets to vote is a massive step forward, and yet that step forward brings with it all sorts of new possibilities for chaos, possibilities for instability. Uh, woo, yeah. Think about cultural consciousness when every voice can be heard. There isn't just one voice. There isn't a larger structure that censors but you actually move to free speech. Oh, finally, voices that haven't been heard can speak up. Truth can be spoken to power. Oh, notice how this for you is just a basic, and yet yet in lots of places around the world, this is a radical new idea. Yeah, but notice that. Well, if if you do that, if you create a situation where there is no censoring, where there is free speech, you could have a cacophony of voices. You could have you could all that wonderful polyphonic spree of diversity of opinion and perspective you, you, that also may have an element of chaos to it. Actual democracy, actual empowerment, actual freedom, uh, also has risk, and that can be a little bit scary. New stages of growth, maturity, expansion, and evolution. Always have greater freedom, greater complexity, and greater diversity. And it can go lots of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can see the desperate desire of an old order to keep things how they were, to keep voices silenced, to keep... By the way, uh, the Committee to Protect Journalists.com, there are all sorts of organizations devoted to keeping journalism strong because you have to have the speaking of truth to power. That's how you keep a system in check. But uh, their estimate is that since 1992, 58 journalists have been murdered in Russia. Dissident journalists who spoke the truth about power structures in Russia. 58. So you can see an old order that is desperate to control the storytelling. So, so what you're seeing actually here at the deepest levels are one earlier stage of structure, repression, control, one voice... And then you can see a world that once you see, you can't unsee. Once you taste, you can't untaste. A polyphonic, diverse world with lots of voices, lots of arranging things, with all sorts of freedom to create, all sorts of empowerment Uh Yeah, all sorts of new ways for those who haven't been heard to be heard, to be valued. Equality. Go down the list of all of the explosive, wonderful new arrangements that are in place. So yeah, it is a little frightening. Yeah, it can be a little chaotic. Yeah, it's also where the whole thing is headed. So, once again, when something new begins to emerge... When the old begins to disintegrate, when it can't keep up, when new creation is bursting forth into the world, you can dig in your heels and you can long for how it used to be, or you can open yourself up to what's unfolding and participate and see where it wants to go. Now, this polyphonic chaos of all of these voices has tremendous strength. Actually, and, and this is this is how I would speak to, to cynicism. The world, especially those of you who are like so cynical about humanity right now, which is completely understandable. But but think about it. Think about it. This leader Putin, leader of Russia, Invades, invades Ukraine, and almost the entire world rises up in opposition. Think about that. Think of how many different places around the world and voices and perspectives are actually all united around this is wrong. Notice the moral certitude fiber, gravitas, and conviction that has risen up in the past two weeks around this. That that you have your economic sanctions, you have everything from the withdrawal from FIFA, like sports, art, commerce, bank, like think of how many sectors have said, how can we participate in resisting this movement? So it is. It is absolutely heartbreaking to observe. I mean, it's devastating to see the footage. It is. That's overwhelming. Actually, I actually have to be careful uh, that I don't just go down rabbit holes of reading. Uh, I want to be informed. I care. Like like you, but I also I mean those are very straightforward statements. But I'm sure you can relate. I also can be owned by it and can rev on it and can get easily stuck in a loop just thinking about it endlessly. Uh, but notice, um, and it, and it's yeah, lives are being lost. Yeah, yeah, whole whole streets are being wrecked. But notice the uniform resistance around the world so this new world that is unfolding this new world it's it also has it also has tremendous moral fiber it sees this and says wrong barbaric he will be held accountable for this yeah yeah i actually don't think that uh, Putin expected this. I think he expected a lot of it, but I, I think there's whole dimensions. If you are desperately trying to reconstitute an old order, it's very hard to comprehend a new order that, it, that has this kind of depth and fiber to it. Uh, here's what I mean. New York Times, a couple days ago, reported that there have been entire Russian units that have laid down their arms without a fight after confronting surprisingly stiff Ukrainian defense. Uh, The article goes on to say, In some cases, Russian troops have punched holes in their vehicles' gas tanks, presumably to avoid combat. Yeah, so you're having this increasing number of stories about Russian soldiers who are like, wait a second, Uh, I was told we were doing some exercises. I don't want any part of this. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you can read it one way, the world's falling apart. You can read it another way as the last violent gasp of an old order and a new heart and consciousness rising up and resisting in an infinite number of ways. So yeah, it is. It's deeply unsettling. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, you can also, in the resistance of the Ukrainian people, in the street protests of the Russian people, in Russian soldiers going, no way am I going to be part of this. You can also see something beautiful at the heart of the human experience. This is always how it works, actually. It's always how it works. At, at, in, in the height of what can appear to be humanity at its worst, and is humanity at its worst, it's often where you see things so beautiful so fierce so strong yeah you see hearts so devoted uh yeah 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 so yeah we're in this with all our ukrainian friends yeah we're in this together with each other uh In many ways, the world has, well, the world has never been this connected. Yeah, this is, yeah, the first war on TikTok. And who knows? Who knows what seeds are already being planted? Yeah, yeah. So we send our love, we send our prayers, we send everything we got to those literally in the firing lines And we keep going. We keep going. Yeah. So you, my brothers and sisters, may you be free from resentment. May you be open to a new world rather than clinging and grasping to what was. And may the grace and peace And love be with you every step of the way.